0: Welcome to the ISTC monthly podcast where you can keep up to date with what's going on at the ISTC and in technical communications in the UK and globally. The ISTC is the Institute for Scientific and Technical Communicators and our members work to make scientific and technical information more accessible. I'm Imogen Craigmile, your host. I'm a member of the ISTC and a technical author working in the software industry. As it is summer, I've decided to shake things up a bit with an extended summer special. You may have noticed that there was no June podcast episode, and that's because I was working on a deep dive interview with CJ Walker, director at firehead.net and an all-round fascinating technical communicator. During our conversation, we attempted to tackle this concept, bridging the gap between the technical communications community and new content needs for robotics and AI. Our talk ranged from discussions about microcontent, the COVID 19 pandemic, and the big changes in the tech comm world and the world in general. I think this is a really great episode, and I really hope you enjoy it.
1: So, our topic for this ISTC podcast discussion is the concept of bridging the gap between the technical communications community and new content needs for robotics and AI. Um, So as a launching off point, um, do you think technical communicators need to be at the forefront of bridging that gap? Or do you think maybe everyone as a human being needs to be because of where everything's heading? Where the future's going? Does that make sense or is that too big a question?
2: No, that's not too big of a question. That's a very good one. I think that technical writers are going to be uh, the interface with the user. And so we're very, very important. But, um, you know, the technology is going to change everything. And that's our place in it. it yeah. it's, uh, it's going to affect everybody's lives and everybody's jobs. But our jobs are going to change a lot. But there's going to be uh, more work for us. Yeah.
1: The onus is going to be a lot on us. Do you see more and more people becoming technical communicators, perhaps?
2: Yes, I do. And I also see technical communicators um, calling themselves different things. Um, That's already happening. Uh, The field is widening so much and the needs are getting to be, the requirements, let's say, are are so different that, Uh, UX, for example, will be blended together with uh, tech comm or um, conversation design. Um, Tech comm won't be linear procedures anymore. It will be designing conversations. So um, it's all going to be about communication for the user. And I don't know what the uh, specific job titles will even end up being.
1: The UX thing really rings true with me because this new job I've just started. Last week, I've just been doing a UX course actually so they've hired me as a technical writer but they've enrolled me on a UX fundamentals for technical writers course and it's been really interesting to learn about how they blend together but they're quite different because I think from what I can gather I've only done it for a week UX writing seems a lot more direct they want you to use like you know lots of powerful adjectives it's more like do this create that enter this whereas my experience with technical writing is a bit more more steps involved, more instructional, um, that yes, kind of thing.
2: Yes, procedures, uh, uh, that's the context. Um, we can go into that because um, one of the key things that I think is gonna be really important that's developing for uh, technical communications is going to be micro content. I can yes. explain what that is. And UX is basically using micro content for, for the same reasons, but it's, it's direct. We're going to be using microcontent and breaking it down into chunks to reassimilate them um, so that we've got context, that things are at a more granular level. Um, but yeah, we're so what all is microcontent?
1: Is it the right? same as I've heard people talk about microcopy or are they different?
2: I think microcopy is used in the UX world. I don't I'm I don't know it as well. I want to learn it Um, because they're talking about um, probably instructions or it's, it's something that the UX people are looking at as a cohesive unit. And um, the idea of micro content is about uh, writing for the machines. Uh, It's basically detail on steroids. I mean, you're you're taking things and breaking them into even more granular chunks so that um, you've got more to work with when you reassemble according to context. Right. Um, okay. And the user will be defining the context in a, a conversation. Uh, so you need those little pieces to work with so you can come back with um, an appropriate response. So I think at a certain level there it's the same approach or idea is just applied differently. The help, the user help information is going to be in the machine because the users are are going to be communicating with a machine live when they're trying to to get a task done, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm going back to my analogy of um, how we've written procedures for so long. So everything was really linear. The big difference is now um, the machine has a conversation going on with a human instead of just spitting out um, generalist uh, procedures. And every user is going to have a different scenario. Right. So um, we need to be designing conversations for, for them. And that's not linear. That's, uh, it's all over the place. Definitely. That's where the micro content comes in because it's broken down into so many discrete chunks that uh it, it's more gl- it's more um granular
1: yes yeah uh
2: and then you can pull back an appropriate response but um there's a lot of linguistic theory that goes into this for me i i mean at a very basic level you could describe like um tree diagrams hmm. um it gets a lot more complex than that but the idea is that you know it's branching off and um, taking different channels and uh, the micro content are the chunks um, that they're using
1: right okay I get that. like yeah. bits
2: and bytes for the computer if you will
1: yeah how do you think we as technical communicators can best prepare for more and more artificial intelligence coming into our jobs. Because oh, I, I, we've already, I know we discussed last time that we already have a lot of the skills sort of ingrained in us, don't we?
2: We do, yeah. In fact, I'd say, I mean, a good technical, uh, a good technical writer, author with um, the foundational skills probably has 75% of the skills needed already. It's not, that's why I don't think it's a question of losing your job. It's a question of upskilling uh, We're ahead of the curve. Well, yeah. uh, it's not going to be a, a whole new degree. It's going to be going to learn new skills to top things off so you can use what you have um, in a new way. Yeah. Have you
1: seen any courses about this kind of thing coming through like in, in your line of work or just in the circles that you're in or?
2: There are courses. Um, what I'd like to say about courses is uh, I advise people uh, that they don't need a whole new degree Um, In fact, if they went back for four years or two years, they'd be wasting their time because the technology is moving so quickly. Um, And if you go to a university course, you know you're going to be taking a lot of um, classes that you don't necessarily need or that aren't as focused, uh, laser sharp on your job. You've got the other side where employers aren't going to, if an employer is paying for you to upskill, and I'm talking about just skills now, it's going to be what they want. Yeah, maybe not where you want to go. So um, I suggest that there are what they call um, micro degrees, using that word micro again, I've heard them called mini degrees, I'm going from French, so I'm not sure exactly the um, current word in English, but you get the idea Um, where you choose some courses for um, one semester or two and uh, you get um, acknowledgement from the university for that. Or (laughs) online courses or um, even um, community service. There are lots of ways to gain new skills. Yeah. Um, I think the important thing is to be aware of uh, your own inventory of skills uh, and be keeping in touch with the trends that are coming so that you can make the match intelligently yourself Um, because it's a smorgasbord out there
1: that's one of my fears going back to what you said about how the technology is moving so fast it's hard for us to keep up sometimes I'm afraid it will get so far ahead and then maybe the younger generation will be more in tune with it so I worry sometimes that I'm already out out of touch with maybe how it oh, was-
2: you're young image, and I think of- Aristotle was complaining about the next generation being a complete write-off. So it is all this time. So I'm not from a generation of digital natives, and I still have a job. Yeah, um, it really is about adaptability. I think back to your point. Well, I, I have a few things to say about that. I um, saw Carl Carliner, who is in. um Montreal, I believe, has published quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit about um, the job market and techcom and uh, I follow him actively. And he's got this new concept that I really like of instead of um, the next generation isn't going to be looking at a career ladder where, you know, if you step back a generation or two, the classic view of a career was uh, you get into a company, you expect to stay there for life, most likely. Um, You, um, if you're not too stupid, and you don't do anything wrong, you just kind of with seniority, uh, move up. Yeah. And that's already, I think people can see it, it's changing. Uh, there was the whole um, revolution in the workplace about contractors coming in and companies using different budgets, but you know zero hours contracts and all of that. So um, changes in motion, but going back to this idea of career ladders, Saul is suggesting that um, we should be looking at a career matrix. Okay, and um, that addresses your question. Of, I think about how wide it is. There are so many new things to learn. Nobody can learn them all. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have to specialize. And this career matrix is an idea where I think of like a chessboard, and all of those squares you're feeling or you're filling in with different um, skills. Yeah. And all of a sudden, things mm-hmm. like um, the fact that you take um, kayaking trips in the summer for um, kids in middle school or something um, that can go in there too because you never know when an employer is going to put a really specific recipe together and those skills carry over into something else um, for the job if you're looking at it as a matrix of skills instead of a chronological, I did this and I did this and everybody expects that it was part of the recipe. I think um, there, is, there is so much to learn. I'm, I, I mean, everybody knows about information overload and how um, there's so much on the internet every day that it could break your laptop um, you've been X number of minutes and this kind of thing. Um, it, it's, it's actually an opportunity, I think, to, Take a serious assessment of what's out there, what's available for education in your price range, taking personal responsibility for it or having your employer pay for it or um, anything in between, I suppose, and um, what skills you need uh, yeah. for where you want to go. Yeah, Uh, tech writers have done this for a long time because we have a very specific skill set, but we go and apply it in different industries every time we we jump jobs. Um, We've got a one up on a lot of the world for that.
1: This is true. I think that with how a lot of technical writing used to be these, used to be paper manuals, and now, you know, they really are dying out. And a lot of people have adapted to like online help and websites and that kind of stuff. So Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I suppose we are always, Adapting most of us.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, being realistic, I'm aware that there are still companies that use Word for their technical documentation and I don't like it, but they're still making money. So um, maybe if you're older and you're about to retire and you're comfortable in your job, um, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I really think that the ISTC and our profession in general should be looking at encouraging um, young people
1: Yes. Yeah. I think so. Like maybe get more like going into universities or even before that, even high schools, even because you yeah. start, you decide in high school, what you're going to do at university. So if people were aware of it, then they could start tailoring their skills. As you say,
2: we have a marketing problem. We Nobody knows about us.
1: <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. We need to get the word out more. Um, um. I'd go to universities and do, and talk about it. because obviously it's something that I've come to, but it was never a I never knew about it at school technical writing
2: yeah yeah in my experience as a recruiter most people happened into it um, and it's uh, pretty new to me still well now I'm dating myself but um there weren't um technical writing programs when I was working as a technical writer
1: yeah
2: yeah um, in fact when I was in the states it was a lot of ex-hippies who um I knew how to write and got really interested in um, the technology when it came out at a personal interest level, but they were great technical writers. Um, things are moving along. Things are formalizing. I think that's great. There's education um, and some standardization that we needed, and I, I just hope that we're looking forward enough and we're not trying to compete with UX or that we start um, feeling like conversational designers are taking our jobs or something, we should be looking at it as this is something that we've got most of the skills for and it's a new way of looking at it and skill up.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think we, like you said, we could definitely be, we already are probably leading in this field but we could be like the leaders in it. But I think the work that you do is obviously a big part of educating people about that, you know, cause you're always out talking about it, aren't you? Um,
2: it seems to be more and more, yeah. I'm really happy with what I do for that because um, the world is a pretty grim place right now and I I just really feel like um, this is good news for our industry. There Mm -hmm. are going to be jobs there and we know how and it's interesting and you even get to choose how you want to change and I like giving good news. Yeah, (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, definitely.
2: (laughs) I spoke in Poland. Yeah. And that was really interesting because um, that is one dedicated crowd. Oh, um, cool. technical communication is new there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, they're kind of taking the Western world's um, lead. Uh, but to be competitive, they, they're taking it so seriously and they have just risen to the challenge. I was really impressed by the quality. That's uh,
1: excellent. That's so cool.
2: And they were motivated and they're happy to be in it. They see it as a really dynamic field with lots of possibilities for the future. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a really young crowd too. So it fit all of the um, positives we were talking about. That's right. Nice. Yeah, Did we, um,
1: and were you talking about this topic in particular? Were you talking about?
2: They yeah. wanted to talk about the future of content and um, we discussed it a lot. Excellent. Cool. Yeah. They, um, I hadn't been uh, to Poland for the TechCom world before and they're actually kind of like the magnet. Um, they're like the ISTC of the Eastern Bloc, if you will.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I suppose what we would, we are addressing the question about bridging the gap, because one way in which we can bridge the gap is to keep adapting our skill set, keep learning things and keep trying to be leaders in in this area. Um, But the the second half of the question, well, the idea of bridging the gap between tech comms and then the new content needs for robotics and AI, what do we mean by robotic? What do you think that means in this context? Uh,
2: Robotics for me um, means the automation that the robots are doing. And um, how does that apply to communications or to tech comms? everybody's uh, hyping up the robot apocalypse um i'm going to take a step back and try to explain it a different way maybe i i mean if if you look at uh, automation um and if it's coming from ai or if we just want to look at um, something that's automated for now to keep it simple um without talking about intelligence and what that means um It's very good at producing things um, steadily. It's efficient. It's faster than humans. Those are all good things, Um, but um, oh, and they can take more complex problems and and do that quicker. And there's a real advantage in that, of course. They don't have any lateral thinking skills. They don't have any common sense. Or judgment. So, if you look at any job and you think, "Well, is this automatable? Um, If we can just turn it out," and that could be accounting. Um, That could be a lot of the law. Yeah. Um, Some operations, you get into human emotions about all of that, but um, those jobs are going to be a lot more at risk. Mm -hmm. But um, let's take the law. Uh, There's still a lot of human judgment in there, thank goodness, um, about how you apply it. But writers, we need those lateral thinking skills. We need to be able to conceptualize. Um, Anything that's artistic is coming from a different place, I think. I I have an ongoing argument with Ray about this, but um, uh, about what creativity is. Uh, Yeah. He's, um, he's convinced that AI can be creative and I'm too much of a linguist and will um, just continue having a nice time um, uh, debating I think um, but back to jobs and uh, psychologists are in good shape science is going to depend I think like on how things are interpreted I you know you can um you can do a lot of chemistry and the machines can do that faster but what does it mean? as an example. So um, I, I the important thing to know is that I don't think that our jobs are going away. Um, yes. Look at what machines, what humans can do better than machines, what machines can do better than humans. And you can turn that around to say, okay, so what can AI produce for us? Yeah. Uh, what can we offload to AI? Uh, I think there'll be a lot of hybrid working um, it's true that a lot of content can be developed by um, machines now, and I've seen some pretty good examples of it, but if you think of, like, the subject matter, it's a lot of sports uh, is a good example. It's pretty easy to generate. Hmm. Yeah. Um, writing fiction, not so much. Maybe if it's an accident. Sorry. That's just a phrase. Um, but you... Um, when it gets into things like writing procedures, uh, that, some of that will be automatable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still going to take um, some human thinking and creativity to be able to break down those parts and think about how it's going to be applied. And probably those two will work together and then they'll have an editor come in. Okay, yeah. I don't think the editors can be um, automated as easily. That's a different kind of thinking. Um, the same way I think that surgeons, uh, there will be a lot of machines that'll be doing the surgeries because they're precise and technical and accurate. But um, th- there's nobody who wants to go under the knife, under an unsupervised machine. They'll want doctors in there to, to make sure things are going right.
1: Yeah. I It'll will. make
2: things more productive. Um, it's the same with the writing. And yet um, we'll need reassurance of the, um, the human element.
1: Yeah. I guess the more technology that gets developed as it will, then there's going to be, there will be more of a need for the people to oversee it or to program it. I wonder if we'll be behind some of the programming, you know, in putting the, yeah. the uh, language and-
2: I firmly think we'll be part of the code. Yeah. Um, that's where we'll have to become uh, maybe more technical than a lot of us are. Um, mm-hmm it's always funny for me to hear technical, technical writer.
1: All oh, right. Is that a term?
2: <laughs> a very technical writer. What do you mean? I, we're writing about technology. Um, but um, yeah. So I um, lost my train of thought.
1: <laughs> no, well, yeah. I didn't like <laughs> that question. Um, have you noticed like more... Technological advances happening as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. I I was wondering, as someone, because you're more in the know than me, um, I thought there might be because, you know, everyone was racing to get the, the vaccines out. And I wonder if that's led to certain technological advances.
2: Um, In the communication world, I know that, um, especially the plain language people I work with, there was a lot going on for them about um, communicating the message about, uh, you know, how governments were um, giving advice to people and uh, telling them about the vaccine in what way and that kind of thing. Um, So there must have been a lot of technology behind that um it was uh, the vaccines were new um how you approach the um the public and the manner you approach them in it's good they finally started thinking about it
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah definitely
2: but um no as far as um specific technology go it's probably mostly in the areas around medicine that i know less about um
1: yeah yeah no that's fair i was just wondering it probably would be medicine Um, I know that my old job, because we were like logistics, um, I'm not, I don't think there was any more technological advances, but we saw a lot more business come in, weirdly. We were a company that did well, benefited from it in a way, because everyone was sending stuff to each other because you couldn't see each other.
2: Oh, of course. Yeah. It's that kind of hidden stuff. Um...
1: Yeah, so we, my company made, I'm not saying like loads of money, loads of profit. I don't want to sound like they, they profited out of it or anything. But, um, you know, a lot of companies weren't getting contracts and were worried and stuff like that. But mine wasn't one of those. We were getting a lot of business. So that was good.
2: I sort of found um, with my company that I, I started on a, a bit of a different project uh, during the lockdowns because I thought it wasn't, it wasn't going to be a great time to be in recruiting. Um, I was wrong Um, things shifted home and that was a huge uh, shift for most of the world I've worked at home for the last 30 years so um, for me the shift was dealing with all these people who didn't know how to work from um, from that space but um, it created different needs in recruitment and um, not a lot of need for change on my end and things kept coming in which was good
1: that is good that is good yeah
2: and there's a boom now um, and um, I really think this great resignation thing was a good thing too. It was a um, pressure on the workplace to, uh, to make it more, uh, more of a job seekers market or well, what people were resigning because they didn't like the conditions and uh, the knock-on effect has been that uh, employers are having to think more about work-life balance and, and other things. So that was good too.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Um, when do you think we'll see like the biggest shift to using more artificial intelligence? Do you think it's like 10 years away or like-
2: the- I think it's already happening.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Um, I wish I could um, give you some examples off the tip of my tongue. It's just too hot right now, uh, but there no. are, I know there are lots of small companies producing new applications and there are a lot of big companies when you think um, they're the ones who can um, really make use of big data. I, mean, I'm working in my living room and I don't have access to all of this big data, but that's where stuff is really happening. And um if they're implementing things uh, within the company, it's still, uh, you know, it's supposed to affect the business bottom line and um, there are things that come out of it for consumers. Um, And look at all of the analytics, um, all of the conversations about privacy. I mean, that's all based on um, the fact that everything can be analyzed and I, that's big data and that's classification and that's AI. Um, yeah, I read, well, I think, uh, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, no, you say you go first.
2: Um, I just read that in 2025, so that's three years away, um, that uh, 65% of the workforce thinks that they'll need to have upskilled and to be able to keep their job
1: right yeah i completely um
2: and a lot of this is going on internally within the the companies that maybe um we don't see i don't know if they want us to see all of the um calculations that are going on about privacy and who owns what data and everything um that's probably the scariest example but um No, the internet of things i i i know somebody who has a a plugged in toaster wow (laughs) i'm still like waiting for a a viable explanation about how that's an advantage over a regular old russell hobbs one but there you go yeah
1: that's crazy
2: um it's on his phone and on his iphone and shows me that he can like um tell the toast to to pop up even when he's at work
1: I mean, it's cool but I guess it's
2: the Jewish factor and that's it
1: <laughs> yeah I don't know if it's like life changing but it's quite cool
2: it's it's there um, but there's going to be a lot of that yeah I mean, that's what new technology uh, and adaptation does I think yeah. it's funny <laughs> um
1: I was going to say sort of back to the recruitment thing obviously my company have taken me on and, and we want to expand our team but we're already a team of We'll be, we'll be five, five with me, which I think is really cool. You know, coming from a place that didn't have a big team, and I wonder if there is going to be more of a shift so that there are more people documenting because of the the that because we're a software company, a tech company. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting that they're investing so much in their team. Already five of us, and want to expand. Um, I don't know if you've noticed that, or if or if you know of a lot of like sole technical authors still.
2: Most of the sole technical authors I know are uh, contractors.
1: Yeah. Which um, has its advantages, I think. You get to do so much when you're a contractor, don't you?
2: You do. And uh, then it's done and dusted and you leave. Yeah. Uh, it's a very different relationship, I think. Um, I do know some people who've worked solo for a long time um, in salaried jobs, but it's the exception. I, I think I'm not the rule. I think that UX class... I. I is going to make your technical, um, technical communications even better. And you're going to have a broader view You'll be able to use those skills. Um, it's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the number one skill that I'm trying to, um, tell technical authors that they really need to be looking at is, um, the principles of conversation design. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: the micro content uh, is the, tool that feeds into that but you don't have to be a content designer you need to learn what UX is and what conversation design is so that you can write to that
1: yeah how would you suggest learning about conversation design the best best way
2: oh right now I I still think the best way is probably to take a course, but I mean, there, I, um, it has just shot out. Um, just came charging out of the gate, and it's a whole community now, and they're getting really organized. And um, there is a conversation design academy. Oh, cool! In English, it's in um, Amsterdam. There are lots of people giving courses. Um, I don't know that you need to go get a certificate in conversation design unless you want to become a conversation designer, but um, tech comm jobs are going to need to to understand what they're writing for. Yeah, yeah. It's the same argument as people are always talking about docs as code. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, Or that's the older version of the same thing. You don't have to be a programmer, but you're going to have to have a conversation with them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um. I've heard stuff about people talking about brand voice as well you know the idea you've got that you have a brand your company has a brand your software has a brand mm-hmm. and you have to write your technical writing has to stick to that that kind of if, that, if you like so say like you work for Nike shoes you know your documentation can't be like all jokey and all over the place because Nike generally is for like athletic people sporty people it needs to be like tailored to them doesn't it quite yeah Yeah,
2: that all used to be just like within marketing, and now it crosses over. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, as I said before, I really think it's not going to be the job titles at the end of the day. I I would say in 10 years, we're going to be all sort of merged. There'll be specialists within teams, but um, I couldn't guarantee that we'll have the same job titles as we do now. That'll Um, be
1: interesting.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I saw people give presentations in um, like the 2010s, 2010s, what do you say, um, about how marketing and technical communications were, um, should be the same thing. And that seems so revolutionary right because uh, tech is uh, supporting the product and we need to be thinking about uh, how it comes across and marketing should be um referring to us and I just thought that's so obvious
1: yeah
2: yeah I, hopefully people aren't in uh, that narrow a silos anymore but
1: uh, it, I think some some people are but some people some people like us and more more people than not I think know that it's a blend of, of things um I, I interviewed for the podcast um my friend from uni who's a content strategist mm-hmm. and I think that's really again like it is just a, a job title but in a way I think he's got elements of technical communications with marketing in that like he works for a oh, definitely yeah it's a company that that i think he analyzes like where the market is where the economy is going in america he takes up his company um turns it around into nice content and that they can send out to Uh yeah to all the companies that are looking to you know invest in certain areas and all that kind of stuff really cool
2: there are so many exciting jobs and content out there that's why i'm so happy to uh, to be talking about the future the um, content strategy is a combination of a lot of things to me. And I think that one of the greatest things that they offer is that they bust down all these silos. Yeah. Um, most of the content strategy that I work with are putting contractors in um, because they need to kind of be from outside all of the politics of these different um, uh, departments within the organization. And um, they ask the same questions to everybody and they, they get things on a level. Yeah. Um, and they it's a turnkey sort of thing. They set up the strategy and then they leave. Uh, I know there are uh, there are lots of salary content strategists out there. And uh, as far as I can tell, they're all do- they're all doing different things because they have to specialize in different things. Um, mm. it, it, that's another job that is I'm really glad it's there. Yeah, you have to fight hard to even get it there um but it's hard to say like what any one content strategist does it's a hard job title to sum up
1: Um, yeah I think he's the only one that I know very well but um Mm -hmm. so I only really know his perspective on it I'd love to talk to more
2: um I organized the world's first content strategy conference in 2010 in Paris
1: that's cool
2: um I I I didn't realize it it
1: would be in 2010 I thought it was a lot more over the only a few recent years so that's cool
2: That was seriously the first time that they got content strategists together. We were told that there was something in Nashville one time that was more like a meetup. Oh, yeah. I did it um, with the um, STC. Uh, I was with the TransAlpine chapter and Stuart Colshaw was with the France chapter and we co-organized it and we charged 25 Euro a ticket. The (laughs) next year when uh, some other people took it over from us, they charged 700 pounds. Um, But it it was just starting to take off, and it was really this, like, um, we need a voice at the table, we've got to be able to talk to the the C-suite or the decision makers, and they've come a long way from there.
1: Do you think content strategists are going to be leading the way in the future of artificial intelligence and communications?
2: They set um, an organization's strategy for how they use their content. Um, they're not executors. Uh, so they need to understand it. Uh, it it's a, to me, it's more of a business function with content. Um, yeah, it, We're still going to be needed to be uh, developing the user assistance.
1: Yeah they still don't really have that like the skills we were talking about sort of the, la- the lateral skills that they are quite well the one that I know we so probably I'm generalizing but he he has like a clear like you said sort of like a clear objective a clear like I need to analyze this isn't this, this it's not the same as what we do.
2: No they're not the same and and yet um i was really enamored of the way that they were articulating content strategy in the beginning because i thought this would be such a good idea for techcom yeah um, the way that they're um like the processes that they the way they're looking at things and setting things up and and wanting to be heard uh, by the organization we get that a lot too and so i was interested in um and how you could apply it to how we get things done. But um, I was seduced by all the sexy content that they get to talk mm-hmm. about that uh, aren't procedures. No, it was web content uh, mostly that, that they were working with. And um, yeah, uh, which was fun. It was great, uh, but they are different things. Yeah. So and you, content yeah. operations is, um, is, is different again. Um, we all have our place. It's content that's exploded.
1: Yeah, I'd say the same. Yeah, it's content, and we are like a community of people that um, that love content and um, use it in different ways, don't we?
2: Yeah, um, I, this is a kind of um, simplistic sounding. I, I it's because of the internet. Yeah. democratization of information we've uh, th- th- there's just so much more content in our lives i think that um th- this all spring out of that yeah and we had textbooks and um one telephone that you plugged in per family when i was growing up we didn't have a tv yeah um yeah. and uh, we read books and I, that's just one lifetime
1: true yeah i know um, i wonder sometimes i think about the fourth industrial revolution that we talk about a lot and then will there be like a fifth one i don't know what it'd be <laughs> I know if, right. everything flying around content just flying around
2: <laughs> yeah that's, i hadn't even thought that that far that's a very creative <laughs> question um, we're, we're <laughs> trying, still trying to figure the fourth one out we're just on the um the very very beginning front porch steps of the um, fourth industrial revolution. Hmm. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to talk about there. There's a lot to explore, and uh, I think for curious minds that's great. I, I, you know, I I started um, technical writing I, at Microsoft it was about software. Um, and that's just what you did. And it was Word and Excel and, um, and things at the time. And um, there just wasn't much um, except that software and it's functioning to even think about it's before everything exploded. Isn't it great that we can be thinking about flying robots or um, You know, the applications of the technology, I, 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 the creativity is just amazing.
1: Yeah, I find it cool. I think some people are scared of it, but I find it quite cool.
2: Yeah, I, even to just uh, the ideas. I don't know if it's a science fiction thing. or uh, but there's, um, it, It's like bringing creativity into um, what we can do with our work too. Right? There's that exciting element.
0: I hope you enjoyed our chat. I thought it was so enthralling and it gave me lots of food for thought. I would like to thank CJ for being my guest and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions for CJ, you can find her on LinkedIn. And now for some news. IST Meets is continuing its summer break and will return in September 2022. Follow us over on our Eventbrite page to be notified immediately when new events are listed. You can also peruse recordings from previous events at https colon slash slash istc.org.uk events ISTC meets. TC-UK Online 2022 is scheduled for Tuesday, the 27th of September. This event will include the ISTC AGM and UKTC awards and webinars. Watch this space for more details and we look forward to you attending. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please like, comment, subscribe and share. As ever, feedback is always welcome, so please get in touch at at astc.org.uk or find me on LinkedIn and just search for Imogen Craigmall. You can find out more about the ISTC at istc.org.uk or just search ISTC on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Please tune in next month for another exciting episode. Goodbye for now.